2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. You guys know the, the Bible says the world's going to increase in lawlessness, right? There's going to be a fulfillment of that, too. There's going to be a day when the man of lawlessness is known on the earth. He's going to defile the holy place. He's going he's to demand your worship. He's going to demand your, uh, your allegiance to him. It's kind of intimidating, isn't it? I mean, you don't have to lie. It is. I mean, if you, if you actually take time to read the book of Revelation, if you read Jesus' words, it's, it's a little intimidating. It's a little scary. But if we're going to walk as overcomers, we have to understand that we don't walk according to the voice of the world. We walk according to the leading of the Holy Spirit. So you should know the world is going to get crazier. You should know that. But as you know, the world is increasing in lawlessness, you also should know that the, the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit is going to be more present in your life. See, this is the tension, is we understand there, there's a day coming that nobody wants to be here on earth for. But at the same time, as we walk through uncertainty, as we walk through trials, we get a greater portion than even the disciples had when they walked with Jesus Holy Spirit's leading. Read it. It's in there. Greater works shall they do. <laughs> How many of you are looking to do greater works in the name of Jesus than he even did when he was walking the earth? If you're not, it's probably because you're too distracted by the news. You're too afraid of what's happening. Jesus said, I'm actually going to give you such a, a great outpouring of my spirit I'm going to baptize you in such power, you're going to do things you didn't even dream were imaginable. You're going to do things that are, that are so crazy, so out of the box, only, the, the world will only be able to say, wow, that's got to be something supernatural. But if you're so drowned in, in, in self-pity and woe is me, the world is too hard, all you can focus on is yourself, you're going to miss out on that. Because you get to listen to, to two different voices, right? The voice of the world or the Holy Spirit. And every person in here is fully equipped to hear Holy Spirit on their own. You may not feel like it, but I've got good news. You're able to hear Holy Spirit on your own. He's created you to hear His voice to know Him. <laughs> Alright, 2 Timothy Chapter 1, verse 5. This is Timothy receiving a letter from the Apostle Paul while Paul is in chains in Rome. We just read through the book of Acts. Paul's in chains because of his faith. Uh, the, the, the leaders of, of the temple in Jerusalem have him arrested on baseless charges. He goes before King Agrippa. King Agrippa wants to set him free. But Paul says, no, no, I don't want to be set free. I want to go appeal to Caesar. And so they take him to Rome, and he's in jail in Rome. And things are starting to happen back at the home base in the church in Jerusalem and, and in Israel. And there's some rebellion going on. And we can get from the, con from the context of the scripture that Timothy is starting to struggle. He's starting to doubt. He's starting to, 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 to be insecure about his calling. So Paul addresses it. He says this, I remember your genuine faith, for you share the faith that first filled your grandmother Lois 
and your mother Eunice. And I know that same faith continues strong in you. How many of you know there's a difference between genuine faith and genuine faith and disingenuous faith? There is. Genuine faith is led by the voice of the Holy Spirit. Disingenuous faith is like a, 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 a ping pong ball going back and forth, being thrown around by the wind, being tossed to and fro by the waves because you're unsure of what God has said about your life. That's disingenuous faith. So Paul writes to Timothy, hey, it's time for you to stir up this genuine faith, the same faith that your grandmother had, the same faith that had been deposited to you. And then he says this, this is why I remind you to fan into flames the spiritual gift God gave you when I laid my hands upon you. For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, and you can interchange those words fear and timidity to cowardice, 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 but instead he's given us a spirit of power. And when you say that word power, it's power. Because it's due to my power. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. It's the same power that when the Father said, let there, or when, when Jesus said, let there be light, then there was light. So here we are. We don't have a spirit of fear. We have a spirit of power. The same power that caused existence to come forward. Of love and self-discipline or sound mind. Self-discipline and sound mind are interchangeable there as well. So Timothy is doubting, and there's a rebellion happening in some of the churches, and people are starting to leave, and people are starting to question if what they're, what they're doing is really of God. And, and Paul writes to Timothy, Timothy, fan the flame. Forget about what everybody else is doing. Forget about what you can't control. Forget about how dark the world is. Fan the flame. Stir up the gifts. Walk in the call. Do what you're supposed to do and let go of yourself. Amen. See, if you're walking in fear, it's because you're looking at yourself. You're looking at yourself. You forgot what Jesus gave you and called you to. How many of you know you are absolutely supposed to walk your Christian faith out in community? Without a doubt. Without a doubt, you have to walk your faith out in community. But how many of you also know that you can't blame your community for the condition of your own heart? You can't blame your community for the condition of your own heart. We can lay hands on you and pray for gifts. We can call destiny in and prophesy into your life, but we can't call your own person to hold yourself accountable for what God has called you to. I, as your pastor, cannot make you do what God has called you to do. You have to fan the flame of the gifts God has put in you, you have to stir up the faith on your the faith on your own accord. Nobody can do it for you. You don't get they, they just don't see me. They don't hear. They don't hear what I have to say. I'm not seen. That's the voice of the enemy. He wants to dampen what God has spoken over you. He wants to pour cold water on the fire God has lit in you. And it's your responsibility to kindle it. It's your responsibility to keep moving forward. It's your responsibility to say, you know what? I don't like what's going on in my life. I don't totally understand this. But God, you called me to this, so I'm going to see it through. I'm going to rekindle 
my faith. I'm going to fan the flame. I'm going to get over myself. I'm going to stop letting fear narrate my life. I'm going to allow myself to see my destiny through the Word of God and through the Holy Spirit's leading. You're supposed to be here. You're supposed to be in community. You're supposed to have brothers and sisters you can lean on. But you can't, you can't expect other people to fulfill through you what God has called you to do. And if you're walking in fear, if you're focused on yourself, you're focused on the condition of the earth, if you're focused on, on everything that's going wrong in the world, you're going to stay stuck. You're going to stay stuck. <laughs> you know, God has a plan that's in his word. It's very clear. He doesn't mince words about what's going to happen in the last days. The world is going to get darker. The church is going to get brighter. But there will be those in the church who fall away. And why will they fall away? Well, let's take some guesses. They'll be focused on themselves. Fear will begin to drive the narrative of their lives because they forgot the gifts God has put in them. I want you also to know every person in here has gifts enabled by the Holy Spirit endowed to you by God. Every single person in here. Every single person in here has gifts given to you by the Holy Spirit, by His power, through His strength, endowed and signed off on in the authority of God. If you're not walking in them, it's because fear has shifted the narrative of your, of your, of your life. I want to tell you a story. I, I think I've told this story a couple years back, so I apologize uh, if you've heard this before. And I, I, I ask you to humbly... Bear with me, but it just seems so fitting. And most of you know I used to take like two to three trips a year to Honduras. We don't do that anymore, uh, but we used to go to Honduras a couple times a year. And one of the trips uh, was focused around this large open air revival service in what was then like one of the top three most dangerous neighborhoods in the world. Okay, so like you think about all the neighborhoods in the Middle East and other places, and this, this neighborhood in Chaloma, San Pedro Sula, uh, and I wasn't with any youth at this time, so praise God, was like top three murder, murder capital, so it was a really tough place, but for missionaries, that's like, oh yeah, let's go, that, that you know, adrenaline junkies, man, they just, they, they just want to do the, the worst of the worst, that's what they want to do, so that's what we were like, we were like, let's go, this will be great, we're going to have a great time, uh, and the, the day came for the, the revival meeting, and, and if you can imagine with me, there was a big open field, uh, and around it, in sort of like a square, there was this large neighborhood, you know, thousands of homes, uh, really big uh, neighborhood called Chaloma, murder capital, the, the cartel there is ruthless, uh, and I'm there with my wife, we actually had left our kids with uh, one of the parents, and it was kind of like a vacation for us, it was you know, ministry and uh, vacation at the same time was it was great. And we were so pumped up for this uh, revival meeting. We get there, and we break into twos, and I go with my wife, of course, and uh, we don't speak a lick of Spanish. I still don't. <laughs> it's really weird. I, you know, I go to Reynosa like three times a year as well, and all the, 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 the Mexicans in Reynosa, they learn English in like two months. It's nuts. I've been going for years. I still can't speak a lick. So uh, we're, we're there in the neighborhood, and uh, they give us a translator. It's this young guy named Derek, 
and he's he's like really excited uh, to be with us, and we're really excited to be with him, and we're like, all right, let's do this. Uh, Derek's a great guy, and before we go to like start setting up chairs, uh, my wife goes, I have to use the bathroom. Okay, well, we're in the middle of this giant neighborhood in Honduras. There's no bathrooms. It's, it's houses in a field. And Derek goes, oh, no problem. My abuela or my grandma lives around the corner. We can go use the bathroom at her house and then go back to the, the tent revival. And I think, oh, that's a great idea. Let's go do that. So we, we go around. Uh, we go in. I go use the bathroom, come out. Then my wife go use, goes to use the bathroom. And while my wife is in the bathroom, Derek looks at me and goes, hey, Pastor John, you want to hear something? Okay, sure. Well, you can't tell anybody. Uh, but yesterday, the cartel in this neighborhood sent a letter through the neighborhood that we're going to kill anybody outside their home past 8.30 tonight. Okay. Yeah, I just thought you should know. <laughs> I look at my watch, it's like 7 o'clock. And I'm like, okay, we got about an hour and a half before we get slaughtered. And great, let's just not tell my wife. She's in the bathroom. This is between me and you. Me and you. And Derek's like, okay, Pastor John, no problem. So we, <laughs> we got to the revival meeting, and I'm just filled with dread. Basically terrified now. I don't want to be there. Uh, this is a terrible situation. I can't really tell anybody because, uh, I mean, I don't want to ruin it for everybody else, but I'm pretty sure we're all going to be killed tonight, and this is, this is not fun. So we're out there, and, you know, they start the, the worship music, and uh, everybody's having a great time, and I'm just like back and forth, yes, praise Jesus. <laughs> and my wife is having a great time. Don Raglan's with me. He's having a great time. Uh, and I'm just terrified. All of a sudden, it begins to rain. And I think, oh, only you, Lord. You knew. And I think this is going to wash the meeting out. Everybody's going to go home. We're going to have a great time talking about what could have happened if it didn't rain. It starts to rain. The, the people from the neighborhood pick up their chairs and use them as umbrellas. They don't go anywhere. And I'm like, okay, this isn't working. Lord, rain harder. And it starts pouring. It starts pouring. There's like three inches of water on the ground. It's pouring so hard. The electricity on the stage goes out. The instruments don't work. The speakers are off. The microphones don't work. But they just keep going. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. Like, what's left? A tornado? Like, what else could we get to make this stop? And everybody's dancing and worshiping. And I'm looking at my watch the whole time and just miserable, having a terrible time. About 8 o'clock rolls around, and uh, you know, Don preached with his translator. It was probably a great message. I didn't hear a word of it. And I was just like, let's go to the vans. Let's get out of here. All the other missionaries with us are like in their 20s, so they're super pumped up, super excited. Uh, and I'm just miserable. Ministry time starts. Me and my wife are praying for people with Derek. I, I don't think I prayed for a single person. But the entire time, people are just falling under the power of the Holy Spirit. And they're falling into three inches of water, too. So you would think if it was fake, they would just get themselves up. But some of them, you had to, like, turn over so they didn't drown because the water was that deep. And God was moving so powerfully. I think the, the witch in that neighborhood got saved. Like, a couple of people got healed. It was powerful, but I really did not care. All I could think about was at 8.30, there's going to be bullets, and we got to be gone. That's all I could think about. So it ends... It's like 8.15, we're going back to the bus. I'm like, thank you, Jesus, this is over. That's pretty quick in uh, Spanish church uh, terms. A two-hour meeting is quick. And so we're, we're on the bus, and it's like 8.15, 8.20. I'm like, we did it, we made it. And they go, all the, all the um, 
the other missionaries are like talking about what God did. My wife is having a great time. Nobody knows this except for me. It's raining like torrential downpour now. And so you can't see out the window. All you can see is the fog on the window and the, and the rain. And we go to start the bus, and he puts the key in, and he turns it, and he goes, the bus is dead. Okay, the bus is dead. That's terrible. So it's, you know, they, they spend a few minutes trying to start the bus. It just keeps doing that over and over. 10, 15 minutes go by. It's 8.30. I'm terrified. I'm like almost crying in the back by myself while everybody's like, did you see what God did? That was amazing. That was so cool. God's so great. And I'm just back there like, <laughs> and so he goes one more time with the key, and it goes, and it starts. And I think, Lord, thank you, Jesus. You are a miracle-working God. He puts the bus in reverse, and it's, it dies. It goes, it dies. And it rolls into the busiest street in the middle of this neighborhood. So here we are. There's water flowing like, like Niagara Falls around us in every direction. There's cars going around us. There's uh, just all this chaos happening. And we're stuck in the busiest road in the most dangerous neighborhood in, that, in the entire world, as far as I know. And at this point, there's nothing I can do. And I'm just silent. And, I, and I'm just thinking like, okay, if you're going to die, at least be quiet while you die so nobody can say anything bad about you. And I start repenting, basically, of all the things I can think of from the time I was, like, alive until then. All the other guys, the, the missionaries are having a great time. My lo- wife is kind of looking at me now like, what's your deal? Like, what's going on? Look at my, my watch. It's like 845. And all you can see outside the windows are headlights coming and then going around the bus because, it, you know, they wanted to get home. And so I'm, I'm wondering, like, should I tell people? Should I not tell people? Like, what, what should we do? I don't know what to do. And all of a sudden, the, the road starts to clear. And that really makes me start to panic because, I mean, the neighbors know that this is going to happen too. So they're probably home now and not going out. And the road is clear. It's just us stuck in the middle, rain and torrential water. And then all of a sudden at the very end, and I'm not, this is like, honest, this is what I saw. At the very end of the road, I saw two headlights come up. And the headlights just started coming closer to us. It was like Jaws or something. It was terrifying. They're just coming closer to us. And I'm thinking, this is certainly my death. This is it. This has to be it. They come closer. They get up close. They, they uh, get out. Two, a couple guys get out of a truck. Can't see who they are. All I can see is they're carrying something. They come up to the, the window. Uh, our driver rolls down the window. And this is, this, is, this is it. I'm thinking they're just going to spray us with bullets. We'll be dead. Martyred for Jesus. Rolls down the window. It's uh, Derek and his dad. They're holding jumper cables. They jump us. The van starts. I'm like crying in relief now. We go home. I take a shower. I lay down in bed. And I, and I say, Lord, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with me? And he said, you, you're, you're used to listening to the spirit of fear. You missed everything I did because you were so focused on what could have happened to you. I said, Lord, how do I break that? He said, you got to stop looking at yourself. See, hard stuff isn't going to stop happening. And according to my Bible, the King James, the Passion, the Message, New Living, 
They all say the same thing. It's going to get harder. It's going to get harder. But the church has to look at themselves less. That's how we get through it. We don't get through it by, by hoping things get better. We get through it by focusing on Jesus and revealing his kingdom through our lives. Despite what it may cost us, despite the, 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 the pressures from the world, we have to look at Jesus. So I repented. I said, Lord, I don't, I don't want to live like this. I don't want my life to be determined by what could happen to me if I put myself in a hard situation. And I heard him say this so clearly to me. He said, John, the safest place you'll ever be is where I call you. The safest place you'll ever be is where I call you. So I repented, moved on, got over it. That's under the blood now. Right? You guys know that? That's under the blood. I don't have to worry about that anymore. That's not my life. I'm not defined by that. But I do have to make a choice today. I can either live from that place of fear, live from that place of what could happen to me, or I can grab hold of what God has called me to do. I can stir up, fan my faith. I can rekindle what God has called me to be and do that. But I have to make a choice. I have to make a choice. Go with me real quick to Mark 5. Mark 5. This is from our life journals this week. And I just, I really love this, this story. Reading it yesterday, it just got me. And uh, John West beautifully laid out John 5, or Mark 5, sorry, Mark 5, this morning in his exhortation. But I want to look a little deeper. Mark 5, Jesus, man, he's, he's got it going on now. He's healed blind eyes. He's cast out demons. He's uh, multiplied food. He's doing the works. And now he has a crowd beginning to, to, to follow him because they want to see what he'll do next. So they're, they're just following him around. They're making kind of a ruckus. They're, they're, they're creating a scene. And in the midst of this, Jesus is walking, and Jairus comes before him. It says that Jairus is the leader of a local synagogue there in the town he's in. So what does that mean? He's a believer. He's been doing the stuff. He's been fighting for years. He's been doing all the right things. But now he's in a bad situation, isn't he? He's in a bad situation. What's the situation? His daughter is dying. And he, it says he falls down to his knees before Jesus, and he says, Jesus, please come heal my daughter. How many of you have ever prayed that prayer before? Jesus, please fill in the blank. Yeah, we all do. It's, it's just human nature. Some, sometimes we forget that we only came to Jesus because we found out what he could do for us. <laughs> right? So J- Jairus comes up to him and says, I need you. I've been serving you. I've been serving God. I need you. And, he's, and what does Jesus say? Yes, I'm coming to your house. And I just want to point out real quick, the moment you start praying is the moment God starts moving in the direction you need him to. may not work out in your timing as we find out in the end of the story, right? Because the little girl dies. But God, Jesus started moving the moment Jairus said, please come to my home. So Jesus starts going to the home. The crowd is thick. They're pressing up against him. And it says that there's a woman in the, in, the, in the crowd, and we don't really know much about her. We don't know if she's a believer or a non-believer. We don't know if she, um, we, we really, really just don't get a history on her. We just know that she's there, and she has a situation, and it's, it's the issue of blood. And, and basically, it's like a nonstop menstrual cycle that causes her great torment, great suffering, and great pain. And it says also that she spent all of her resources 
She did everything that she could do to get healing from this, but now she was out of money and had nothing left. Right? What, and, and this is what I really like about this story, is it says that she thought to herself, all I got to do is grab his robe and I'll be healed. Well, th- that's beautiful, right? Because who taught her that? Who, did she go to Bible school? Did she go to all of her life group leader meetings? Did she, did she read the, the right devotional to get that? Who taught her that? Desperation did. Sometimes the best thing you can be is desperate. Because that's when you stop looking at yourself and you start looking around you to see what's left. Because you found that there's nothing more of you that you can bring to the table. And now i got to look for something outside of me. And this is where she is. And it's a really tricky situation because we know in that culture, her bleeding actually makes her defiled, right? She, she's actually not allowed to go before any uh, uh, Hebrew rabbis because of her bleeding. She's defiled. She could actually be stoned if she does. But she's desperate. It says that she pushes her way through the crowd and, and she goes up to Jesus and she grabs the hem of his robe. She just grabs the hem of his robe, not even touch his flesh, not even look him in the eyes, just grabs the robe from behind, kind of sneaks in there. And it says that in that instant, healing power went out from Jesus. The same dunamai as the power he promises you for your mind. It says the power goes out of Jesus. The, the, the Holy Spirit power goes out. And instantly she realizes She's healed. (laughs) Is she a believer? No idea. No idea, but she knows she's healed. Jesus realizes healing power goes out from her. You know what that means to me? That Holy Spirit is actually looking for desperate people right now. He's he's just like waiting and, 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 and so willing to partner with desperate people. People who will just get over themselves, get over what it might cost to get a little reckless, get over what people might think about them, and just pursue him. The Holy Spirit is just waiting for people like that. Jesus realizes that the power has left him, has no idea who touched him, looks around and says, who did that? The disciples are like, come on, man, there's like a thousand people around you. Who could ever tell you who touched you? And he goes, no, no, there's a thousand people be around me, but there's one person, person here who's desperate for me. There's one person here who's desperate for me. The rest of these people just want to see what I want to do next. But there's one person here who wants to grab on to what I have. And, of course, because she realizes and like she's defiled and what she did might have been wrong, she says she comes before him in reverence and says it was me. And what does he say back? This is what really got me this week. He says, that's faith. You're healed. And your suffering is over. Your suffering is over. I I, I don't know. I don't know. But maybe the end of your suffering is right behind you getting desperate for Jesus. I don't know. Maybe the end of you walking through what you're not meant to walk through is you just getting radical, not caring what other people think, just getting reckless to pursue Jesus in your life. Just deciding, I don't care. I don't care. You may not like what I'm doing. You may not like the way I pursue him, but I'm just going to get desperate, and you can deal with it because what he has, I need, and I just need to grab onto his robe. 
So she's healed. I'm just going to say new believer, healed instantly because of desperation. Childlike faith. Let's go. Jesus did it. But then there's a second part to the story, isn't there? Jairus' daughter. She died. She dies. Sad. These are true events, by the way. So, like, it really should grip your heart. She dies. She dies because of the, the radical pursuit. And Jairus, I could imagine, he could get offended at the new believer, this, this lady. How many of you have ever gone through something hard that didn't happen the way you want, and then you watch a new believer get it, and then you're like, oh, man, what the heck, Lord? In fact, I think that was part of what was going on because the, the, the household of Jairus comes and they say, Jairus, just, just cut it out, man. She's gone. I'm sorry. She's gone. And, and I'm, I'm sure Jairus was about to say, Jesus, I appreciate your concern. It's over, though. Because Jesus looks to them and he says, no, 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 no. I'm going to your house. And he gets there and what's happening? Everybody's weeping and wailing and, and, and just, just uh, in overwhelming grief. And he says, what's going on, guys? She's not dead. She's just asleep. <laughs> She's just asleep. And they start to, what do they do? They start to laugh at him, don't they? Don't they, John? They start to laugh at him. They start to mock him. And what does he do? He separates the, the unbelief from the faith. And he tells them to get out of here. The parents and his two of his disciples, they're going up there and they're going to do what they've, they've come to do. Sometimes it's good to separate yourself from the voice of unbelief. It is. This is different because this is the, the believing church partnering in unbelief. And sometimes it's good to separate yourself from, from the, the voice of unbelief. Jesus did it. He takes them up to the room and he speaks an Aramaic phrase over. He says, little girl, get up. In Aramaic. Aramaic because that was her native tongue. And what happens? She gets up. And he says, now give her something to eat. Which is my favorite part of the story. We're going to do that next. <laughs> now, at the end of the story, it says how old the girl was. How old was the girl? How long had the woman been bleeding for? It's a pretty wild coincidence, isn't it? It's again, it's a true account. Nobody just like wrote that detail in. That's real. How many of you know there's no coincidences like that in Scripture? What, what that says to me is that God cares as much for the new believer as he does for the one that's been serving him for a decade. Serving him for 20 years. Serving him for 30 years. But both need to get radical about what they need for him in order for there to be faith to activate what he wants to do. The number 12 is actually really particular in scripture. It, it represents God's perfect authority and government on the earth. And think about that. How many disciples were there? And what did he call them? Apostles. And what are apostles? They're governmental leaders. They're, they're people who influence a region with the, with the superior kingdom. How many tribes are there in Israel? Twelve. So you see, you understand that? The number 12 represents God's perfect government perfect kingdom being released on the earth. And so for me, what this kind of speaks to me is, is if you want God's kingdom to be built in your life, you might need to get a little unruly about what you need. If you want God's perfect government to manifest through your life, you might need to get a little radical 
about your pursuit in him. Look, I get it. When you're in church, you're around people, so there's something in us that, that wants to look reasonable. There's something in us that wants to look dignified. There's something in us that wants to look like we're in our right mind. But the people who get, got, get the attention of heaven are not the ones who are full of themselves, but are desperate for him. And, and look, we, we can get overwhelmed by what the world is doing. We can be full of ourselves, wondering why us, why us, why do we have to walk through this? Or we can grab hold of Jesus. We can, we can pursue him. We can, we can become radical about him and then see his kingdom manifest through us. Let's pray. Let's just pray. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, I cast down our flesh right now. In the name of Jesus, Lord, I ask for a holy radicalism to rise up right now. Father, we don't care about what we look like to the world. We don't care about being weird. We don't care about what it feels like. We don't care about what we have to lose. We don't care about all the things that are gnawing and clawing to get us distracted. Lord, we want to be radical in our pursuit for you. Father, I don't want to just be another pastor conforming to the culture of the world. Father, I want to pursue you with all my mind, with all my heart, with all my strength. Father, would you set us on fire to be a people passionate about your presence in our lives, God. God, would you set us on fire? Would you fan the flame in us to be a people unrelenting in our pursuit of you, God? Unrelenting in what you've called us to be. Father, would you stir up the the gifts you've given us, Jesus? Would you stir up the faith you've called us to, Jesus? Would you give us a hunger to see your kingdom birth in our lives? We want to burn for you, our great king. We want to burn for you. Father, whether, whether we've been serving you for decades and we feel disappointed by some things, God, or we've just come to you, Jesus, we want to be radical in our pursuit of you. We want to be passionate in what you've called us to. Father, we, we fan the fire right now. We fan the fire right now. We rekindle the faith right now. Father, we don't care about what the world does. We're going to do what we're supposed to do. We're going to take responsibility where we need to take responsibility. But we're going to be radical about your kingdom coming. We're going to be radical about your kingdom coming. Father, you're looking across the earth for those with great faith. Let it be us. Let it be us. Let us catch your attention with our faith, God. Let us catch your attention with our zeal, Lord. Father, whatever has to be burned away. Whatever has has to be left at the cross, would you show us right now? Would you show us right now? We love you and we trust in you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. We're just going to worship for a little bit and respond to the word. If you need prayer for anything, please come get prayer. But the altar is open. Let's worship.